Hey, Deb. Doing good. Doing good. I borrowed the trailer again this week. <laughs> the what now? The oh yeah, 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 yeah. That we uh, everything taken care of there. This was to get get a bale of hay. I got a one from uh, yeah, a big one round from uh, Jim Richardson. Gave me one. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And I'd got a couple bales, but they were uh, mildewy, you know. And so the horses picked through it a little bit, but they they didn't really. So I had to kind of roll one of those out in the pasture and get one good one from Jim. He's got good ones. I did. <laughs> I uh, yeah. I'm not sure. I'm not sure Ken's tractor would pick it up. I yes. Uh, <laughs> you mean come get come get the one that I have uh, squatting rights on, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I it, it worked. Uh, Jose helped me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Trying to keep um, keep healthy, right? If it doesn't kill you, it makes you healthy. Yeah, they're big. Yeah, this, this was a. Nice on this one, it was actually round, didn't have a flat spot on the bottom. When they get that flat spot, it's like. <laughs> Okie dokie, Smokey. Are you ready, Ed? Okay, you're always ready. Ed has, he won't tell you guys, but he has one of the keys to life. I said, Ed, how do you keep a happy demeanor and not complain? He says, you just don't do it. You just don't complain. <laughs> I said, <laughs> if the Israelites had Ed's perspective, we'd all be in good shape. <laughs> Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for giving us salvation and for your spirit, which uh, works to overcome our sinful hearts. Thank you for um, this class. Uh, thank you for the book of Numbers. And uh, it is a, a sobering book, but it's also an encouraging book. And I just thank you for it and ask that you'd bless our time today. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week we really uh, kind of got to the, the, the uh, end of really two or three chapters of explaining that the Aaronic priesthood... was the priesthood and that there was no other way to come into God's presence but through the ministry of the Aaronic priesthood. And so if you just, you know, picked up your Bible and started reading Numbers 18, you could probably go, man, we're back into like details that are just difficult and hard to understand and why are they here? But I think you have to understand it in, in the context of the people's resistance to the priesthood, their, their ambition for the priesthood, like they wanted to, to be, you know, have other people other than Aaronic line to be priests, they wanted to be able to do this themselves, but God says, no, you have to use the Aaronic priesthood, they are my gift to you, you should no longer resist it. You should no longer try to supplant it. Uh, and so I think Numbers 18 is going to help us just see uh, what sort of relationship should the people have with the Aaronic priesthood. So that's just that simple. And we could think of it in our own day in life. What's the, what's the connection between God's people and elders and deacons? Or we could say, you know, what's the relationship of God's people to the... Um, the, to Christ uh, and how we interact with him. So anyway, we'll, we're going to uh, just read through this passage and try to pick up some uh, interesting uh, principles that I think God wants us to understand in our relationship with him and the body of Christ. So uh, we have a microphone available. Let's give that to Mike Starnes. Make him read verses 8 
through 18 of chapter 18. Starting in 8. Verse 8 through 18. And the Lord spake unto Aaron, Behold, I also have given thee the charge of mine heave offerings of all the hallowed things of the children of Israel. Unto thee I have given them by reason of the anointing, and to thy sons by an ordinance forever. This shall be thine of the most holy things, reserved from the fire. Every oblation of theirs, every meat offering of theirs, and every sin offering of theirs, and every trespass offering of theirs, which they shall render unto me, shall be most holy for thee and for thy sons. It is the most holy place, shalt thou eat it. Every male shall eat it, it shall be holy unto thee. And this is thine, the heave offering of their gift, with all the wave offerings of the children of Israel. I have given them unto thee, and to thy sons, and to thy daughters with thee, by statute forever. Everyone that is clean in thy house shall eat of it. All the best of the oil, and all the best of the wine, and of the wheat, the first fruits of them which they shall offer under the Lord, them have I given thee. And whatsoever is first ripe in the land, which they shall bring unto the Lord, shall be thine. Everyone that is clean in that house shall eat of it. Everything devoted in Israel shall be thine. Everything that opened the matrix in all flesh, which they bring unto the Lord, whether it be of men or beasts, shall be thine. Never, never, nah, never, nevertheless, the firstborn of man shall thou surely redeem, and the firstling of unclean beasts shall thou redeem. And those that are to be redeemed from a month old shalt thou redeem, according to thine estimation, for the money of five shekels, after the shekel of the sanctuary, which is twenty geras. But the firstling of a cow, or the firstling of a sheep, or the firstling of a goat, thou shalt not redeem. They are holy. Thou shalt sprinkle their blood upon the altar, and shalt burn their fat for an offering made by fire, for a sweet savor unto the Lord. And the flesh of them all, or the, and the flesh of them shall be thine, as the wave breast and as the right shoulder are thine. Okay. All right. So um, let's just look back in verse eight. Um, at the at the initial statement in verse eight, what is one purpose? of the contributions or offerings that the people will give to God. So so you have, you know, the general worshiper and he gives gifts and offerings uh, and that and there's various purposes for those gifts, offerings and sacrifices. Uh, things like atoning for sin, things like uh, taking your prayers into the presence of God. I mean, there's uh, all those kind of things as purposes. But in this verse, verse 18, it gives you a different reason for these offerings, a different purpose. What's the purpose here given? To support, not just the well, Levites, priests, right? To support the, the priesthood. Okay, so you can imagine, you know, there was resistance, there's ambition, now they are actually called to support this priesthood. So part of your obedience to God, part of your faith that God has actually chosen the Aaronic priesthood is that you're called to support them. Your gifts give to them. Uh, And that's exactly what's going on here. Uh, These were called consecrated things they were holy right they're considered holy and the priesthood themselves are holy so uh, we're going to look at some of the details of how they are going to uh, partake of these offerings but but it's it's not just it's practical it's it supplies their needs to live but it's it's also holy 
So it's not just meals, it's, it's special holy meals. And we're going to see how that works out here in a minute. Um, he says that it is a perpetual due, meaning this is something that is an ongoing thing. Uh, so then in verse 9, what are we told in verse 9? Anything specific there? Kind of hard to see. So he lists different offerings, right? He gives different types of offerings. Do you notice one offering that's left out? Well, wave offerings, heave offerings, I think that could be part of this. The one that's left out is the burn offering. Why would the burn offering be left out? Totally consumed. That's the one that God eats himself, all of it, right? And this is the one that's most closely associated with atonement, right? And Christ, his offering for us completely uh, once and for all used up. But the rest of these offerings are only partially burned up. So you, you, you have a portion of it, one offering, a portion of that offering is gone up to God, but another portion of it is going to be for this purpose of supporting the priests. It's, it's interesting that it's not two different offerings. Oh, here's the offering for the priest, here's the offering that you give for your... No, it's a part of these offerings that you're giving. Okay, so, and then in verse 10, where do they get to eat these offerings? Yeah. What, what it, what it, it probably wasn't the, what we think of the Holy of Holies. It's probably, probably the, um, the outer courts of the temple, but maybe even in the, I don't have my, my model, but in, the, uh, in, the, in what we call the holy place. Um, but it could also be in the outer courts of the temple where the altar is. But they're actually eating it in the temple precinct. They're not, they're not going home with it, right? This is, and so um, this meal that they're uh, enjoying, I think, very much connects to what we do when we have communion. Because it's a meal that we experience in the holy place. It's here with Christ, with the rest of believers, shared together together. Uh, Obviously, in communion, it's, it's symbolic, but it was a meal that they experienced right there, demonstrating that the, the whole sacrificial system, the, the book of Numbers is fresh in my mind, so I'm very, like, further along. Balaam, in false worship, will try to manipulate God and get things out of God. But true worship is God giving blessings to his people and enjoying fellowship with his people. That's what's happening here. So in this, you know, God provides the Aaronic priesthood, not so that people can try to manipulate him into doing what they want by giving sacrifices, but because God really wants to bring his people into fellowship with himself. And that's what's happening here. Um, Well, see that, and that's a, that's a give her that. Ask that again with the microphone, because that's worth it. Uh. Um, it in, it says that the sons and daughters are um, to eat of these holy gifts also. And so, do you guess every meal is like a fellowship dinner? Yes and no. So, um, so in verse ten, it's just sons, but in verse eleven, it's sons and daughters. Right. So there's going to be some of the offerings that are going to be specifically for the priests here. You know, they're going to enjoy this, maybe on duty even. You know, that's a part of, uh, almost symbolic, that they're representing the rest of the people. Because as they are these representatives and enjoy these, like, fellowship meals, it is, remember, everything in the Old Testament is provisional. It's, it's in the New Testament that Christ has opened the door so that everybody can go in and truly experience the fellowship with God. So, in the Old Testament, it's, it's provisional. So God is showing through the priesthood that we can have this fellowship with him, but it's still very limited, right? And so only the priests get to enjoy it right here. But in verse 11, 
we see that there are wave offerings. This is the heave offerings that you were talking about, um, Susan. And he says, I have given them to you, to you, your sons and your daughters, as a perpetual due. Everyone who is clean in your house may eat of it. So it seems like these are offerings that they get to actually take out of the temple precincts, take back into their homes, and enjoy it in their homes with their families. Which would make sense, you know. Uh, God's not just providing for the priests, he's providing for their families as well, right? Uh, and the wave offerings are really good because they... They particularly have to do with the first fruits of the land. So God's blessing is actually overflowing to the people, where some of the other ones were brought for sin and, and different things that were going on. But these heave offerings were like this, we're thankful for the first fruits kind of thing. As God has blessed the people, so the priesthoods are the priests and their families are actually benefiting from the overall blessing upon God's people. So you can see how the priesthood is a, is a, it's a uh, ministry of service. They definitely have authority, but they don't have power, and they are entirely dependent on two things, both on the people being faithful to obey God to give, right? But they're also dependent on God blessing the people enough so that there can be a blessing given to uh, the priest. So you can see how God is incorporating and like forcing the people of God to be interdependent on one another. And isn't that the same thing that goes on in the New Testament? God gives various gifts to the church, doesn't give any one person all the gifts. He gives the whole church multiple gifts so that they are intertwined and interdependent upon one another. I think the same thing is happening here in the Old Testament. All right, let's look at verse 12. Uh, all the best of the oil, the best of the wine, and of the grain, the first fruits that they give to the Lord, I give to you. The first ripe fruits, all that is in their land, to which they bring the Lord, shall be yours. Everyone who is clean in your house may eat of it. Here you, you see that the people are responsible to give their best. Not just their best to God, but understanding that their best is given to the priesthood. Now, this is a, this is a kind of a, a touchy thing because we live in a sinful world, and I'm a pastor. Uh, but pastors have to be careful that they're not just greedy for gain. That's, that's important. The uh, New Testament warns against false prophets doing that very thing, doing your ministry just because you want your own gain. But sometimes churches think that it's their job, and I'm not saying this is this church, but some churches actually think it's a, a, a symbol of, of holiness that they either keep their pastor poor or don't pay him hardly at all, make him be a, a tent maker. You know, oh, our pastor doesn't get paid. He works on his own. And, and I think it, they're focusing entirely on the side of, yes, we need to keep our pastor. We don't need to keep our pastor. But pastors should be humble. They should not be greedy for gain, those kind of things. That's true. But they miss the side of, of it that it reflects upon the church their willingness to give their best both to God and to help the minister survive. God doesn't say, oh, give the best to me and let the priesthood kind of, you know, languish a little bit. That's not the way it works out. It's... It's this, this idea that you love God's gift to you in providing the priesthood, therefore you're giving your best to them. Does that make sense? I see that in this priesthood happening here. Uh, turn to Mark 7 for a minute. This is an interesting passage Mark 7, 6 through 13. Uh, Erica, would you like to read that for me? 
It comes, Marcus, to you with the... And he said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and mother, and whoever reviles father and mother must surely die. But you say, If a man tells his father or his mother, Whatever you would have gained from from me is korban, that is, given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and many such things you do. Okay, so you think, well, how does this relate to numbers? But I think it's the same kind of attitude. Uh, The people are saying, we want to just give God everything. We want to love God. And they said, well, how about taking care of your parents? He said, oh, no, we, we would give to our parents, but we're giving it to God. And what they do in this is they, they sound really religious, they sound really holy, they sound like, oh, we just want to love God with all our hearts, but in the end, they take the money that they would have offered to God, and they still use it for themselves. They don't actually give it. And this is what can happen with us. Oh, it's, it's you know, the, the priesthood, oh, we, we like the Aaronic priesthood, we're, we're happy for them, we're glad that they're here, but we just want to give little to them because what we're really doing is giving to God and that's what matters to us is giving to God and God doesn't let that happen he says your treatment of the ironic priesthood actually is a reflection of your love for me same thing your treatment of your mother and father is a reflection of your love for me you see how that there's it's very practical and how this is lived out so God doesn't just say oh love me with all your heart and then not give them practical ways to do that. The practical way that they would do this is to give their best of their first fruits to God uh, in, in their worship. So um, anyway, that's just in the New Testament, I think the same principle that is being applied in, in numbers is also being applied by Jesus as he teaches them. So... <clears throat> Yeah, right. You're right. That's what I'm saying. This <laughs> because now the priesthood has a little bit of specialness to them, right? So, of course, I want to be a priest. And you can see how then the priest temptation is to turn it into, oh, I just want to live the good life. I don't actually want to serve the people. I just want the blessings, and that's evil. But also, the people are saying, oh, we don't like that, so we're going to resist what God has provided. That's that's what's happening. And God emphatically tells them, this is what I want you to do. Uh, and so they can't wiggle their way out of it. Uh, now, in all of this giving of the first fruits, what is the one exception? Should be close to the end of that uh, Right, so the, only the clean, right? So the, the, the priesthood is set apart and holy, but even their families would be considered clean. So, yeah. The things that are holy, that's right. But then, I guess, move down to like um, 15 and 16. What do the priests not get to take home and eat? Of, of, no, of man. They do get the beasts. They get the cows. They get the sheep. They Just don't eat your kids. <laughs> so again, just it seems redundant. We know this, but human offering is not a part of God's system. And so, but God, he could just say, don't, don't eat your kids, right? But he's basically saying the whole system the whole reason why people bring offerings to God is because the whole people belong to God. 
And this idea of belonging to God is, is um, represented in the firstborn having to be given to God. So in the firstborn, you are to see the entirety of the people as belonging to God. So God could say, all of you have to be offered, you all are priests, and there's this element to that. But no, we live in this world, and not everybody's priests, and so, yeah, people are just living their lives. And he says, you give me your firstborn as a sign that you all belong to me. Okay, that's the, that's the reason for this. But you don't give your kids... But he can't, he can't just exempt their kids because that would mean that the kids don't belong to God. So all of the kids then have to be purchased. You know how we say that our tithes and our offerings, like, you're obligated to give. It's not just, oh, I think I want to give. I mean, we should have generous hearts that want to give. But you belong to God. And part of your tithe is an is a acknowledgement that God owns everything that I have, okay? Well, the firstborn kids belong to God, and so they have to purchase those kids. Now, we learned this in the book of Leviticus. It's just reiterated here because they don't want anyone to misunderstand. Maybe the kids need to be offered too. No, they don't. The kids are exempt. They belong to God, but they're exempt from this. They, they have to be purchased in other ways, which I think would actually give the priesthood a little bit of money. Think about living there, too. You don't, you don't just live on food. Got to have money for clothing. Got to have, you know, so I think it's very practical that God provides a way for his people, to, his priests, to actually have some cash in hand so that they can live. <clears throat> yes. No, you're not. This is all hard stuff, actually. <laughs> Go ahead. Where does it tell you that the kids, oh, <laughs> that the, ki- the children, I mean, you know, it says. In verse 15, do you see that? It says, nevertheless. So he's just gone through this list of how all these uh, firstborn and the wave offerings are to be eaten. Nevertheless, the firstborn of man Redeem. Redeem. That's purchase them. Like you have to, there's a price that's given. Instead of actually killing your firstborn, there's a price that you give, a redemption price that is for them. Now that's all from the book of Leviticus. So again, Numbers is assuming that you know Leviticus, which most of us have struggled to know that too. So, but it's, but that's what's happening. So he's saying there's a big difference between your animals and your kids. Right, because, because, because there's, um, and remember, everything belongs to God. Not just, not just the clean animals, everything belongs to God. So, so if something, it all has to really belong to him. So an unclean animal, you can't use that for a sacrifice. You can't, you can't actually bring that in and eat it because you're not allowed to partake of unclean. So he's basically telling them, even your unclean animals, you have to redeem. Does that make sense? So it's just making the distinction, what do the priests get to do? This is how they live. Oh, they don't get, it's not like the priests are given an exception. They can eat the unclean animals. The rest of the people can't. No, you have to redeem those unclean animals. And he actually tells them how they need to do it, gives them the redemption price. Absolutely, yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> right, because you know, there's. Let's say you have a baby and the baby dies within the first month. You know, you don't have to redeem that. Same thing with an unclean animal; you don't have to redeem that. So it's just very practical. Um, Got at least live a month before you have to actually redeem them. So. You can read that if you want, if somebody give you, Marcus will give you the microphone, so, is it long? Good. (laughs) It says, um, redeem, 
with a lamb every firstborn donkey, but if you do not redeem it, break its neck. Redeem every firstborn among your sons. In the days to come when your sons ask you, what does this mean? Say to him, with a mighty hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. When Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed every firstborn in Egypt, both man and animal. This is why I sacrifice to the Lord the first male offspring of every womb and redeem each of my firstborn sons. Excellent. Harkens right back to the fact that they weren't killed. Why were they not killed? Because the blood of Christ was over them, and as Lee says, purchased by the blood of Christ, right? Uh, But it is also, so like, as you look at the Old Testament Mosaic and Aaronic Law, it's got these big pictures, lessons of salvation, but it also has these other lessons of caring for the priest, the interaction of the, of the uh, priesthood and the, the, the members of the rest of the congregation. And so it, it's just, it's multi-level in the things that it's teaching us. Okay, let's read verse 19. Uh, let's see, Marcus, give that to Christian for us. And then keep the mic, Christian. I'm going to let you read other verses here pretty quickly, so... Just read verse 19 to start. All the holy contributions that the people of Israel present to the Lord I give to you, and to your sons and daughters with you as a perpetual due. It is a covenant of salt forever before the Lord for you and for your offspring with you. Okay, so just understand covenant of salt it's not mean doesn't mean tasty it's enduring um, and i would i would argue that the the essence of the ironic priesthood is continuing even today because it was um, it was uh, anticipatory of the eternal priesthood Of Christ. So Jesus says, I didn't come to abandon the law, I came to fulfill the law. Uh, in the moral law, that's him keeping the commands perfectly. But in terms of the priesthood, it's him actually fulfilling what the, the Aaronic priesthood was pointing us towards. It's, it's a foreshadow of the eternal priesthood of Christ and what he's doing. So the idea that these are an eternal covenant before the Lord. I think it is a continuing covenant, even though Jesus is not of the house of Aaron. And again, you'd have to go to the book of Hebrews and explain why that's, that's okay that he's not of the Aaronic priesthood. But it is pointing to the eternal priesthood of Christ. We don't do away with priesthood like that was, oh, we did that for a while, now let's get rid of it and find another way to God. Christ's priesthood actually is the fulfillment of everything going on with the Aaronic priesthood. So it's a, it's a covenant of salt. It's an enduring one. All right, Christian, read verse 20. And the Lord said to Aaron, You shall have no inheritance in their land, neither shall you have any portion among them. I am your portion and your inheritance among the people of Israel. Okay, so this is a fun right here. So what does God keep the uh, priesthood from having? They can't have land inheritance. I don't get to own. Now, they, they are given some cities uh, intermixed among the people, so it's not like they don't have any uh, property, but the inheritance rights of the land do not belong to the priesthood. And why is that? God is their inheritance. They get to actually come around the temple every day in closeness with God, right? So we can see how that might apply to uh, you know, pastors and, and things that, that, you know, we're supposed to be dependent upon God's people and not go out and just live for ourselves, that kind of thing. But ultimately, how does this relate to Christ? He had nowhere to lay his head. That's excellent. He, there's genealogy. That's good. Um, what is... What is ever before Christ? Like, what is his ambition? Is he just trying to to gain a promised land? He actually leaves heaven 
To do what? To do what? Redeem you. You are his inheritance. Just as the priest is, God is their inheritance, Christ is saying you're his inheritance. And there's this sense of that what's most important to him is this relationship with his people. And I think that's being established here. The priests are to be just consumed with God. In essence, every Christian is to be consumed with God, right? That's the priority. Uh, and I think God shows that with the, the priesthood saying, no, you don't get an inheritance, I'm enough. And I think that's true for us. But it also points us to Christ and that he was willing to leave everything so that you could be his, to go and get you as his bride. You are the apple of his eye, uh, not just a physical land. He could have that without you if he wanted to. So, um, and again, this makes priests absolutely dependent upon the rest of the people of God. All right, 21 to 24. We got Mike still? No. Okay, give that to Mary Dunn. To the Levites, I have given every tithe in Israel for an inheritance in return for their service that they do, their service in the tent of meeting, so that the people of Israel do not come near the tent of meeting, lest they bear sin and die. But the Levites shall do the service of the tent of meeting, and they shall bear their iniquity. It shall be a perpetual statute throughout your generations, and among the people of Israel they shall have no inheritance. For the tithe of the people of Israel, which they present as a contribution to the Lord, I have given to the Levites for an inheritance. Therefore, I have said of them that they shall have no inheritance among the people of Israel. Okay, so this is the Bible almost speaking out of both sides of its mouth, right? It just says you don't need anybody but the Lord. So you don't get anything. No, your inheritance comes from the inheritance of the rest of the people. Because the tithes of the rest of the people are your inheritance. So, and it's on the one hand, the Bible can say, oh, priest, you don't get any inheritance. I'm enough for you. You don't get the land. And the very next statement, oh, everything they give is your inheritance. Right? And it's a return, you know, it's, it's given to them for the service that they do. And then you can understand why Jesus is so mad at the Pharisees in the Sanhedrin. He says, you heap burdens on the people. You, you don't even lift a finger to help them with those burdens. You, you're, you take their, their tithes, you, you, you benefit from them, and yet you, you're not trying to serve them at all. And so this is why he's so angry at them, because he set up this system whereby there should be a mutual love and interdependence and service of one another, and they've just destroyed the whole thing. So, you see why he's upset. But, I would say, this is always a perpetual thing, especially in our day and age, um, ties per se, like the New Testament doesn't, like demand tithing of God's people. It's not, it's not like explicit that you have to pay your pastor a tenth or, you know I mean? That's just not given explicitly like with the priests. Because in the Old Testament, the whole system was, was both the, the civil system and the religious system, uh, the whole economic system was wrapped up into one. It was what we call a theocracy, right? Um, and that's not the case in the New Testament. The New Testament uh, churches are existing in places where governments and, and uh, uh, economies have nothing to do with the church. They're, they're like, you know, you're just a bunch of slaves over here and you become Christians and you're in the church. So it is, there's not a direct what we call a one-to-one application of tithing into the New Testament. But there is, and you might not understand this, this is uh, one-to-two or one-to-three. When we talk about one-to-one, that means everything fits from the Old Testament to the New Testament perfectly. But what we do have 
is a one to two or one to three relationship where even though the situation is not exactly the same, there is a connection so that you can learn principles. And I do think that among God's people, it is a general principle that, that a tithe of 10% should be given. It's okay to think in that, those terms. You're not necessarily supporting the whole priesthood. It's, you know, but that there is a, a connection between what the pastors do and uh, mercy ministry in the church to care for the poor. Those are things that I think the church should be a part of, and they are funded by, and we can also add into here evangelism, But these are things that the church can, you can draw a principle of and say that you should, uh, do you belong to God? Well, then it's, it's okay for God to continue to demand of you that you give a tithe or a firstborn to God. At the same time, the Bible, Paul clearly says that what you want to be is generous. You want to just be giving out of a generous heart. You want to, that's why we always say tithes and offerings, because we're talking about that, that you you don't just say, oh, give him my 10%, I'm good. Paid my tax. You want to be as generous as you can with what God has given you. And so I think these principles are, are somewhat applicable from the Old Testament to the New Testament. They're just not always explicitly one-to-one. Okay, so... Uh, okay, any questions on that? Um, maybe one other thing I'll add to this. In the New Testament, God, or Jesus, does this incredible thing when he tells his disciples, I give you the keys of the kingdom. That's revolutionary. Who had the keys to the kingdom in the Old Testament? The priests, they're the ones that either let you into God's presence or kept you out of God's presence. They have this. And so Jesus talks to his disciples, and he says, you have the keys of the kingdom. He's basically wrenching the keys of the kingdom away from the Old Testament priesthood. It will take 40 years before the Jerusalem temple is destroyed, but that is done. And the keys of the kingdom are passed down not through the Pope, but we would say uh, through God's appointed perpetual elders and pastors in the church. That that's, these are the ones who actually hold the keys of the kingdom. Uh, and that is basically through um, opening the kingdom to people through the preaching of the gospel, correct preaching of the gospel, and closing the kingdom through church discipline. you can also opening the kingdom when you give the symbol of baptism to people. You're telling them that they belong in the covenant of grace. Go ahead, Kate, and Marcus, you take the microphone over to her, please. But this is big. The, the, the keys are being transferred at this time away from the Sanhedrin, away from the, um, the, the priesthood. Um, one little point in verse... Uh, 23, um, halfway through there, it says it shall be, a, no, I'm going to read the whole thing. Yeah, go ahead. But the Levites shall perform the work of the tabernacle of meeting, and they shall bear their iniquity. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations that among the children of Israel they shall have no inheritance. Mm-hmm. Um, when he says there he shall have no inheritance, and the word forever, is that forever just I would like that word forever to apply to how our, our, our day now or how, it, how, what, how that is applied after Jesus gave these keys to the disciples well, and, um, or, or anything. Yeah, no, no, so, so the, the, um, the priests are, are uh, I think I'm following, the Aaronic priesthood, is set into place to tell you how you can approach God. 
and not be destroyed. Okay? And so the people have to submit to the Aaronic priesthood in order to approach God. You try to do it in some other way, you're going to get destroyed. So he's telling them, this is your duty. You need to help the people understand there's one way in, and you need to take seriously this one way in. Well, we would see that the Aaronic priesthood is fulfilled in Christ. Right? He is your high priest. He is the one who has fulfilled the Aaronic priesthood. He is his sacrifice. You can only come into his presence through the blood of Christ, those sorts of things, okay? Um, so in some sense, the Aaronic priesthood is just simply done away with. Now, all of us as God's people are called a kingdom of priests, but we're still, we, we see our one high priest as the, we don't have priests in the church. The pastor's not a priest per se, okay? But, but, as long as Jesus doesn't physically exist here on this earth, he uses men to minister the gospel of grace to his people. And so he still appoints evangelists, apostles, uh, elders, teachers, in his, their, their gifts to the church, that God, that Jesus is fulfilling his ministry through them. And in this way, the Aaronic priesthood in some way foreshadows the ongoing ministry of the visible church. And as elders, you, we are called to preserve the gospel. We're not, to, we're not to verge away into some other type of ministry that's a way to get to know God except through the Christ. But we're also supposed to keep out those who are um, uh, heretics or people who are blatantly walking in sin. You're supposed to shut the kingdom out to those. And you're supposed to welcome people in who are professing faith in Christ and their children. So, so that's, a, that's what the ongoing priesthood, not priesthood, but ministry of the church, how it resembles the Old Testament Aaronic priesthood. There is a connection there. Even though we're acknowledging that we're not really priests, that Christ is the true priest. Are you, are you seeing that connection? So, yes, so there is a connection you. between them, but it's not a one-to-one connection is what I'm saying. We're okay. not just the New Testament priests. Christ is the New Testament priest, but we are... We are still servants of Christ to the people. Thank you. That's good. Thank you. Um, okay, back in Numbers. Yeah, okay, sorry, Susan. Yeah, so um, it could just be that they are bearing the iniquity of the people, right? They could be talking about that, and that means that they are, they are the ones who are actually taking the sacrifices before the throne of God, and in, as an intermediary, they're, they're playing that role. That, that could be what they're saying. Um, it could also just be that he's just saying, it is your responsibility. If the people come into the presence of God, and they're doing it in wrong ways, it's your fault. So it could be that as well. Does that make sense? So, and those are both, those are both principles that I think rest upon the leadership of the church. You are only supposed to let those who have a right of the gospel to be members of the church. And you are supposed to monitor who's allowed in. And if you don't do that, the teachers can actually bear responsibility. You're held to a higher standard for that, for not um, maintaining the truth of the gospel. So again, there's parallels between the New Testament leadership and the Old Testament priesthood. But it's just not a one-to-one parallel. Yeah. so that the people of Israel do not come near the tent of meeting lest they bear sin and die. And, I mean, I'm, I jump ahead to we cannot enter heaven mm-hmm. because we're bearing our own sin. Mm-hmm. But explain that a little bit. The, it was really for their protection as well? Yeah, so, so um, if a Old Testament Israelite just decided, oh, I think I can just come into the presence of God, they would be doing, they would be 
with their sin on their back, they'd be walking in and they could experience God's judgment. I mean, they could be actually physically killed. Even the priests, they tied a rope around their ankles <laughs> that they went into the Holy of Holies. So if they did things wrong, they could be pulled back out. So there's a sense that uh, you have to do it according to God's path. But there's also a sense that the, the way into, in the Old Testament, the way into was not yet opened. So even if you were a, uh, a, a worshiper doing things correctly, um, you know, bringing the offerings you're supposed to, not walking in unrepentant sin, you still couldn't go into the Holy of Holies. It still wasn't open. And then with the death of Christ on the cross, the temple curtain is torn and true, saying that now, now, you have a way into the Holy of Holies. So it's, it's better, right? I mean, yes, this guy, the Old Testament worshiper, could say, yeah, I, I get to be in the presence of God, and God is pleased with me because of these sacrifices, but I know that this isn't everything because really what I need to be able to do is just walk right into the presence of God. That's what we need, and that's what we have in Christ, right? And that's why you don't ever want to go back to the Old Testament Israel practices all the Aaronic priesthood is fulfilled in Christ, and he lets you come right into the Holy of Holies when you do it through his blood, when you trust in him alone for your salvation. And that's why in the Reformation, we're so bound up to it is by faith alone in Christ alone that you can have entrance into heaven. You're not, oh, Christ has done these good things, but you know I've got some things that I can do down here that somehow will enable me to get into God's presence. It is completely opened by the blood of Christ. But still, even as New Testament believers, you don't flippantly come into God's presence. You don't flippantly say, oh, I don't even need to worry about my sin. I don't need to think about faith in Christ. I just come into God's presence. This is what Paul says is partaking of communion in an unworthy manner. Right? Communion's for sinners, but you don't just flippantly walk into God's presence. You are thankful for the blood of Christ. You're casting yourself upon him. You're recognizing your sin. Those are all aspects of what it means to come to know Christ or come into fellowship with Christ. And I think all of that was taught in the Old Testament priesthood because you still had things that you were very cautious. You had to recognize your sin. You had to have the appropriate offering. You brought it to the Lord. I mean, all those kind of things are there helping you to understand how important it is to take what Christ has done seriously. So, does that help, Lee? You want to, yeah. All right. We got to see what we got here. Um, all right, let's read 25 to 32. Uh, who would like to read? Want to? Uh, Howard wants to read. Good. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Levites and say to them, When you receive from the Israelites the tithe I give you as your inheritance, you must present a tenth of that tithe as the Lord's offering. Your offering will be reckoned to you as grain from the threshing floor or juice from the wine press. In this way, you will also present an offering to the Lord from all the tithes you receive from the Israelites. From these tithes, you must give to the Lord's portion to Aaron the priest. You must present as the Lord's portion the best and holiest part of everything given to you. Say to the Israelites, excuse me, say to the Levites, when you present the best part, it will be reckoned to you as the product of the threshing floor or the wine press. You and your households may eat the rest of it any, anywhere, for it is your wages for your work at the tent of meeting. By presenting the best part of it, you will not be guilty in this matter. Then you will not defile the holy offerings of the Israelites, and you will not die. Okay, so uh, the best way to start this is um, John Christian Keener, when he was in high school, was, uh, we were probably driving to a homeschool basketball game or something, and he says, um, he says, do you tithe? And I said, yeah, we tithe. He says, isn't that like giving to yourself? 
I'm like, hmm, kind of. <laughs> so, but this is, this is kind of this principle, right? The Levites are getting all this. They didn't earn it themselves, right? I mean, they did their service in the temple, but they're giving it. But they, too, have to give. Everybody has to give. Everybody has to have a principle of this, I'm thankful for what God has provided, and I am giving that. And in this case, it really goes to Aaron as the high priest, and the Levites are giving their tithes to him. But it's just, it's just basically the principle that I don't get, as a minister of the Lord, exemption and don't have to give to God, right? It's, I have to give as well. And so, uh, I don't know. You can ask questions more on this, but I think this is really what's going out. Um, I think it's interesting that it talks about grain and, and um, grapes, right? The wine press, again, I think very symbolic of what we have in the uh, uh, communion service. Um, and that really, the, as the Aaronic priesthood, Aaron represents Christ himself. And so even we're all having to give uh, to him. So... Okay. It's funny because almost all my ending notes are ones that we've already uh, we've already talked about because you guys have been astute and asked all these good questions. Um, uh, I'll just read through these real quickly. Uh, the ties are clearly connected to the tabernacle slash temple worship and to the Levitical priesthood. So, so even though there's not a one-to-one in the New Testament, the principle of ties, I think, is applicable even though it's not direct one-to-one. Uh, the Levitical priesthood and the ceremonial laws are tutors to lead us to Christ. We talked about that. Uh, the temporary nature of the Levitical priesthood is really foreseen in that Abraham actually gives his tithe to Melchizedek. That's uh, Hebrews kind of stuff. We don't need human priests because Jesus is the one human priest that we all need. Uh, we don't need animal sacrifices, so we don't have to bring sacrifices. You know, don't bring me all your, your cows and sheep for me to, to live on. Um, but I think the principle is still there of this interdependence between the sheep and the shepherd and those kind of things. Um, uh, let's see here. Um, it also is very clear that as your pastor, I am not to be about greedy gain. I'm about trying to serve Christ and serve you to help you into the presence of God. And that's not just me, but all the elders as well. So, all right, any other questions uh, on this? Yes, Susan. You, doesn't it make you wonder how the people felt when they prayed? Would mm-hmm. God hear their prayers since mm-hmm. there was no apparent intermediary at that point? Um, I'm, I'm kind no, of no, no, no. They actually, actually, the, the the symbol was very clear that God heard their prayers because they brought their offering, and it usually came with a prayer or a request of God. So they brought that. They had the sacrifice. The priest then took remnants of that sacrifice in his incense. He took it to the altar of incense, and the, and the altar of incense wafted over the curtain into the Holy of Holies, and then the priest would then symbolically come back out and proclaim to the people that their prayer had been heard and that God's blessing is given to them. And we model this in our worship service, right? You come to worship, you do these things. At the end of the service, what do we give? A benediction, the blessing, Right? Well, that's, that's uh, uh, you know, a, not a one-to-one from the Old Testament blessing, but it is a, a working through into the New Testament that we are to pronounce the blessing that Christ has procured, that your prayers are heard, that your sins are paid for, you're under the blessing of God, all those kind of things. It was foreshadowed in the Aaronic priesthood, but it's even better in Christ. So uh, that's a great question. All right, Father, thank you so much for 
the book of Numbers, and thank you for the Aaronic priesthood. Thank you that there is this uh, uh, interdependence uh, within your body uh, that we, uh, in our worship of you, are also in fellowship with one another, that we can't just say it's me and you and nobody else. You, you call us to a life of uh, humbleness and submission and love for one another. And we just give you praise for, for thinking up such a wonderful way for us to understand our redemption and how it can root out the evil that can be in our own hearts. And we just thank you for your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen.